0: Hello, I'm Roger Baker, Stratfor's Senior Vice President for Strategic Analysis at RAIN. This podcast is brought to you by Stratfor Worldview, RAIN's premier digital publication for objective geopolitical intelligence and analysis. Sign up for our free Worldview newsletter at worldview.stratfor.com.
1: This is RAIN's Essential Geopolitics Podcast, powered by Stratfor. I'm Emily Donahue. Today, let's look at Lebanon. The country has been in a crisis, both financially and socially, for some time. What exactly is going on? Here with Answers is Emily Hawthorne, Stratfor Senior Middle East and North Africa Analyst at RAIN. Welcome back to the podcast, Emily. Thank you. Just how bad is Lebanon's financial crisis right now, and what is the social impact that it's having?
0: Lebanon is in the midst of really one of the world's worst financial crises, not just currently, but historically. Um, Some listeners and Stratfor readers may have seen the headlines recently um, in the mainstream press that the World Bank deems the current Lebanese situation one of the world's three worst uh, economic crises since the mid-1800s. It is essentially this maelstrom of hyperinflation, a slow collapse of the country's banking sector, And this awful issue of political stagnation that's making it really hard to solve anything. And, you know, you ask about social impact. And really the question is, what negative social impact is it not having? The hyperinflation is causing severe shortages in all sorts of goods, um, including the really critical things like fuel and food and medicine. Um, People are waiting hours for fuel and fuel is really especially important for Lebanon, because the electricity situation is so poor, which has been the reality for years, decades, really. Lebanon's never had a steady supply of electricity. But most electricity in Lebanon is produced by burning fuel oil. And the country's main electricity company has been unable to provide any sort of steady, reliable service using that fuel oil. And then as fuel prices have gone up, and the currency has lost 90% of its value, it's becoming increasingly impossible, really, for people to buy fuel or for petrol stations to even have fuel available, um, or fuel available for generators to sort of make up the gaps in, uh, when people don't have electricity. So, you know, this, this country is desperate for uh, currency, for foreign currency of any kind, because the local currency, that Lebanese pound, is seeing its value fall pretty regularly. And people's le- salaries and their life savings are becoming worthless. Um, so the human misery quotient is really deepening in Lebanon. And I fear that it's becoming one of those stories that is so repetitive regionally to um, observers in, in the Arab world, and the Middle East, and, and so minor globally in the scheme of things, you know, because this is a country of 7 million people. I, I think that's less than the population in New York City. It's just another one of those sad stories, but actually it is a profound crisis that is one of the worst that the world has seen, just in terms of how bad it can get and how many different things are sort of collapsing at the same time.
1: Emily, ordinarily, government would be involved in solving this issue, but it seems like it's not. What is keeping the government from at least easing the situation
0: Yeah, I think the big problem with solving a financial crisis of this magnitude is that the only people who really can solve it, um, those actively in the government, those that are part of the political class, technocratic leadership like the leadership of the central bank, they are the ones who caused it in some sense, or at least perpetuated it with a lot of inaction sort of compounding over the years. Um, Lebanon is certainly not the only country in the world to struggle with Corruption, But it does rank high um, in terms of just how bad corruption is and has been in the government when external observers that, that rank these sort of things country by country, it does rank high. And you've had in the financial sector almost a, a, a sort of Ponzi scheme involving all of Lebanon's banks that's made it really difficult now for Lebanese people to access the money. And it's made it really hard for the government to have the money available to solve the issue um, because the central bank is running really, really low on its own foreign currency reserves. And it has a lot of liabilities and debts to pay off. So it's difficult because the government is charged with solving it. But we haven't had a government in Lebanon now for 11 months. The last government resigned in the wake of the Beirut port explosion in August of 2020, and still has struggled to form another government. So there's a lot of finger pointing and not a lot of of governing going on. Um, And it really was the beginning of the onset of this awful financial crisis in late 2019 that was one reason we saw a very large protest movement demanding not just political and economic reforms, but demanding that this whole political class, characterized by inaction, that this whole political class would step down. Um, One of the slogans of the protests, which have happened intermittently since that time, almost two years ago, was all of them means all of them, meaning we want all of them to step down, all the political party leaders, everyone to step down. But really, Lebanon's political system, and this is where it gets interesting if you're interested in how different countries in the Middle East work, which of course I find really interesting, Lebanon's political system is unique in that it is very, very resistant to change. Um, It's it's certainly not a monarchy. There's a parliament and prime minister and a president. um, And yet the same individuals have been in power for decades. And the same political parties always win elections. And there's a sectarian quota system that makes sure that Christians have a certain allotment of uh, seats in each government. And Sunnis... Sunni Muslims have a certain allotment of seats in each government, et cetera, et cetera. And that kind of system um, has really, in truth, it has detracted from the government's ability to rule effectively and decisively. It's it's kept a fair amount of people at the table from all of Lebanon's minorities and different religious sects. And that's good in one sense, but I, I don't think that the people who have those positions are concerned with executing the power that comes through it. And I think, you know, I briefly mentioned the August 2020 Beirut Port explosion, which killed over 200 people and damaged entire neighborhoods. No one's been held accountable. There's been no justice seen. And, and part of that is because it's, it's really indicative of how this political system is resistant to even the smallest amount of change and the smallest amount of accountability. Because somebody in the government made a decision at some point that led in part to the government negligence that led to that Beirut port explosion. But we really haven't seen any sort of real information or charges surface against uh, key individuals. And I think that's just indicative of how hard it is for the Lebanese system uh, to sort of turn against itself and execute any meaningful change.
1: What does this crisis in Lebanon mean for the broader region? I assume there are security implications.
0: Yes, you are correct that there certainly are security implications. I think that's one um key thing uh from this kind of financial crisis there's certainly a risk of physical instability of um, uh, an increase in um, certainly petty crime as people are desperate and they 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 are looking for food and medicine um, there's a risk of uh you know, sort of larger organized crime happening on a broader scale that just will further the issues of corruption in the country, but people are desperate and they're trying to feed their families, um, but it but it will certainly compound existing issues related to organized crime in Lebanon. Um, and then of issue to the broader region is militancy in Lebanon is an issue. Um, the state armed forces don't have strong control over Uh, sort of the use of force in the state. And uh, that is a problem in Lebanon. And as people become poor and more desperate and vulnerable, that can exacerbate an issue like that. I think another reason why it it does matter for the broader region is that Lebanon, of course, has a huge diaspora population that cares deeply about this all around the world. Um, And then anyone who's concerned about the humanitarian aspect of it will be worried about this crisis. And that's especially because Lebanon hosts so very many refugees, um, and as the situation in Lebanon becomes harder for uh, Lebanese citizens and refugees alike, um, there is, of course, um, the, a, a risk of more people trying to leave Lebanon, even if it's unsafe for them, even if um, it's not easy for them to access any other countries. Um, but in in many many ways, and one of the reasons why it's going to be hard to solve this crisis is that it it doesn't matter in a huge way, beyond Lebanese borders. It's sort of this disaster story that's playing out um, within Lebanon. And I think um, unless you have a sort of direct tie to Lebanese citizens or Lebanese businesses, um, there's not an overt risk of this turning into a huge regional war. Um, it's, It's just going to create more misery and collapse within Lebanon itself. And that in and of itself is going to impede Um, other countries wanting to get more deeply involved to try and alleviate some of the suffering going on. But one thing I should mention is, because this question always comes up whenever myself or my other Middle East colleagues are talking about Lebanon, is that for many people, Lebanon is synonymous with Hezbollah. I mean, for people outside the region, they connect Lebanon with Hezbollah in a big way. That's the militant and political group that receives support from Iran, but it's also a homegrown Lebanese group that serves mainly the Shiite population and those in southern Lebanon. They rely in part on Hezbollah for social assistance. Some of them may agree with Hezbollah's goal to attack Israel um, to the south, but I don't think that this financial crisis has a direct impact on the risk for another big conflict between Lebanon and Israel, or between Hezbollah and Israel. It's important to realize that the financial crisis impacts Hezbollah as well. It's impacting really everyone in Lebanon at this point. And Hezbollah and Lebanese leadership and Israel really signaled in the May 2021 Gaza war that we just saw that they weren't interested in sparking sort of another big conflict between Lebanon and Israel. That's key, that again just really conveying that what's happening in Lebanon is, is terrible, but it's likely to remain something that really burns inside Lebanon and isn't going to create a huge risk for the broader region.
1: Well, Emily, I mean, a basic question with probably not a basic answer. What happens next?
0: I certainly think that it's going to, the financial situation is going to get worse before it gets better. Um, I think very unfortunately, the social situation is going to get worse before it gets better. But there are two sort of things that I think are important to watch for, that are slight uh, silver linings um, that do indicate that there is um, possibility in the future for this situation to um, at least change. I don't want to say improve, but at least change because really stagnation has been one of the the issues that has contributed to this crisis. Um, One really basic, but aid financial aid is coming in and there are countries, countries like Qatar, countries like France, countries like Saudi Arabia, the United States, there there are a lot of countries that do offer financial aid to Lebanon that don't want to see the situation lead to the full collapse of the Lebanese social system. So there is aid coming in. And, and the central bank, the Lebanese central bank, is able to move around some of its remaining cash, albeit dwindling, but move around some cash to try and Uh, alleviate some suffering they just did something recently related to funding medicine imports and so there are there are aid dollars coming in Um, and there have been tourists returning to Lebanon now that the COVID-19 situation has improved somewhat still not great in Lebanon but has improved somewhat Um, and tourists and members of the Lebanese diaspora that are returning home to Lebanon bringing in any sort of foreign currency does help and alleviate the situation. It's not a sustainable solution to the financial crisis, but it does help make sort of piecemeal relief in the near term. So that's one thing is that aid is coming in. And then the the last thing I want to mention is that while that political system is very resistant to change, and I think the more likely outcome in the near term is that we don't see a lot of change and that we do see the same parties rule in Lebanon, there are some glimmers that some Lebanese really are trying to change that system. Recently, some labor unions, in some of their elections, just within the union organization itself, you saw some new parties take the place of some of those established sectarian parties. Um, And that's happened across a couple unions in Lebanon. And that's really interesting because that hasn't been the case in previous years. Usually you would see almost an exact mirroring of the parties in parliament, sort of indicating that people support the same parties that there really isn't a desire for any different representation. And now, really, just recently, you're seeing a shift in that. And that could, when we get to our next parliamentary elections, it would be really interesting if we saw people voting for different individuals. So that is one tiny note of hope, that there could be uh, some political change, and that could shake loose something in the future, Um that would lead to coming up with new solutions and and sort of new ideas for how to solve this awful financial and social crisis.
1: Emily Hawthorne is Stratfor Senior Middle East and North Africa Analyst at Rain. Thanks for that, Emily. Thank you. Stay informed with regular updates from our expert analysts. Sign up today for the free Stratfor Worldview newsletter from Rain. Go to worldview.stratfor.com. That's worldview.stratfor.com. I'm Emily Donahue. Thanks for listening.